turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke as I wondered um, what to preach for this really a special day in so many ways as being back together as one body and also as uh, the celebration of our freedoms as a nation. We're going to pray for that too in just a minute. Pray for God's blessings upon our country. Uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as it comes from the Gospel of Luke. As we look today at the son's reaction, the elder son's reaction at the return of uh, his baby brother. And as we consider ourselves this morning personally, do we do the things that we do in the church out of a sense of duty or out of a sense of love and commitment uh, to Christ What motivates us? What drives us to do the things that we do in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And have we reached a point of simply going through the motions, as was the case of the elder brother here in the text? Uh, Luke chapter 15. We'll start our reading in verse 1. won't read through the whole text because it's rather lengthy, but let's hear the word of the Lord. Now, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he had spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in that country who who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was looking to be fed with the paws that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. And he came to himself. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arises, and he goes home, and they celebrate. This started up again in verse 25. When his older son was in the field... And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them these, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and have never disobeyed your command, that yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you always were with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. I would ask you to pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of our God's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of all graces and mercies, we ask you to hear us as we come. Oh, Lord, we pray that as we assemble together now as your people, that we would be of one heart and one mind And that your spirit of God would work in the midst of the congregation of Christ this morning. How I pray for your grace in my own heart and mind. That I may preach this word, O Lord, with passion. I may preach it with conviction. 
And pray, O oh God, for your people that you would stir us up to make us alive in Christ and joyful in the redemption that we have in him. Oh, Lord, how we need your help and how we pray for it this day. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the first Sunday since March 8th of 19, I'm sorry, 2020, that we have been together as a congregation, as one body. Uh, the second Sunday of March of 2020 was the 15th, and we had separated to go to the house because we were working on this building. We knew we'd not be able to fit in here, so we went over there, and we had two services. Well, the Sunday soon after that, we started following the rules for the COVID virus and separated the seats and continued over there for quite some time until this was finished. And when we came back into this building at the fall of this past year, we still were going by the COVID rules. So we still had two services and still wore the mask and still separated between the seats and rows and so forth. Well, during that time, we faced some challenges. We're going to face challenges in the months ahead. That's simply the way it is. We will be reviving, if you will. We'll be reorganizing, if you will, in the months that are ahead of us. As so many churches have been affected in so many ways, not just the church, but so many things have been affected. There are some people who are still working at home because of the virus. So I come to this text this morning to ask us a question. As we look at the two individuals, who are the, the, well, three really main characters in the parable, the father and the two sons, uh, where do we fit? Uh, are we akin to uh, the younger son, who was somewhat... Uh, uh, thoughtless and reckless in his life, or are we akin to the older son who was faithful to his father? And if you're thinking the, old, the uh, older son is one to be admired, you're terribly wrong. He's not. <laughs> Neither one of them are to be admired. And so as we go through this this morning, we reach the end of this parable, and as we look at the older brother who is faithful to the father, is he not? And yet he's doing it simply out of a conviction of duty. And someone will say, well, there's nothing wrong with doing things out of a sense of duty. Well, there is, if that's what moves you, if that's all that motivates you, if that's all you're doing is doing what you do out of a sense of duty, as the elder brother was. And we see his heart when his brother comes home. And his father accepts his brother and rejoices over the return of his brother. And really what you see happen here is conversion. The younger brother is being converted or has come to conversion. And the true colors of the older brother are displayed when he sees the compassion and the grace and kindness of his father. If you do things simply out of a sense of duty, what kind of marriage do you have? If you do things simply out of a sense of duty, what kind of preacher are you? What kind of pastor are you? If you do things simply out of a sense of duty, what kind of worker are you at your job? If you do things simply out of a sense of duty, what kind of friend are you or parent are you? Well, you see the problem with that. You see the difficulties with that. This morning, as we go through this text, what happens to see, you see, I'm used to quitting at 1215, so we're probably going to go to 1230 today. As we go through this text this morning, we see this, that because 
deeds done simply out of a sense of responsibility, out of a sense of duty, if you will, are not pleasing to God. Now, would God rather have you do what you're supposed to do than not do it? Certainly. But if that's what motivates us, what we're doing so far as our work in the church is simply out of a sense of duty. That's not pleasing to the Lord. Rather, we should do the things that we do out of a sense of love and commitment to Christ. You could ask a wife, which is a better relationship? A husband that does things because he loves you and delights in you, or a husband that doesn't love you and doesn't delight in you, but he does his duty. Well, you, the wife's going to say, well, it's certainly a husband who loves me, and who cares for me, who demonstrates that affection for me, than one who simply does what he's supposed to do. And the first thing, as we look at this text this morning, um, the uh, individual who uh, does dutifully uh, his labors uh, in the church especially has difficulty uh, with accepting the ungodly into the favor of the Lord. And they do this because they base their acceptance to God on what they do, not what Christ has done, on what they do the labors that they do, the work that they do. So uh, there is the return of the prodigal son here. Uh, the elder brother is unaware of it. He's out in the field working. You see, he's doing his duty. He's doing what he has been told to do. He's doing what he has been assigned to do. And he comes close to the house, and he hears merriment. It's not the sound of fighting. It's not the sound of arguing. It's not the sound of quarreling. It's the sound of merriment. It's the sound of blessing. It's the sound of delight. It's the sound of dancing. It's the sound of merriment and having a very, very good time. And as he hears this, he does not understand what it is that's going on. Perhaps at first he's smiling. Perhaps at first he's thinking, well, this is for me because of how faithful I have been all these years to my father. Perhaps they are making celebration and it's a surprise for me. And when I walk in, they'll surprise me. But then he begins to bring choir. What is the meaning of this? Uh, did I come home too early? For they're not quite ready. They're, they're perhaps practicing to receive me and to celebrate my life. And so he's told, oh, your baby brother, he's come home. Now, understanding, understand this, that his coming home is an indication of repentance. It's not that he's been away for a while. He's rejected his family. He rejected his father. He rejected his father's God. He's come home. Now, most brothers that love one another, one brother over the repentance of another brother would be happy about that, would be joyful about that. But what does he do here? Well, Jesus tells us that he gets angry, he's upset. He's disturbed by the fact that this brother of his, you notice from the language, this son of yours, when he talks to his father, he doesn't even own him as his brother. This son of yours, he says here. And so he's angry that he has come back. He's angry that they are celebrating that. And he is not accepting the return of his brother. He wishes he'd never come home at all. He would desire that he had stayed in the foreign country. He would desire that he had stayed using his money on prostitutes. He would desire that he had stayed living a life of revelry rather than changing his heart and coming back home. This should have been an occasion for rejoicing on the part of all. 
including this elder brother who comes home and is so upset by the kindness of his father. His daddy was a man of compassion. His daddy was a man of graciousness. His daddy was a man of kindness. So you see how people act when they are people of compassion and kindness and mercy. They are forgiving people. By nature, they of necessity are forgiving people. They don't hold grudges. And yet the son of his desired his daddy to hold a grudge. Not to be forgiving. Not to be compassionate. Not to be kind. Which is the very opposite of Christ. The very opposite of Jesus. Is not to be compassionate. Is not to be merciful. Is not to be kind. Not to be forgiving. Understand what Jesus is doing here in this parable. He is describing the Pharisees. You got the story of the lost coin in this section of Luke. Uh, the story of the um, lost sheep and then the parable of the prodigal. This one in particular, the Lord Jesus speaks against the Pharisees. 15 of Luke in the first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. These are the kind of people Jesus attracted. Tax collectors and sinners. They're all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumble saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Eating in the Bible was always an indication of fellowship, peace, unity, fellowship. So these religious leaders are seeing Christ eating with these people, and they complain about it. They're grumbling about it. And so he tells this parable basically against these guys, because it is that their hearts were so filled with their own self-importance, their own self-righteousness, they didn't need to hear about Christ and what he had to say about sin, because as far as they were concerned, they were not sinners. Why? They kept the law. These other people that were there listening to Jesus, they weren't law keepers. They weren't right religious folk. They were a bunch of common people that sinned. And they were keeping people out of the kingdom of God by their teaching, by their strictness, by their harshness. Well, the second thing then that the uh, dutiful Christian uh, is one who is, as he labors, thinking he merits a relationship with God. That's what the older son did. The older son, because of what he had done, assumed acceptance because of what he did. People can go through religious actions. They can be a part of the life of the church and be very much involved in the life of the church and yet have hearts that are hardened against the gospel of Christ. You'll never know it. But they're there involved in the actions of the church, the life of the church, and yet their hearts are hard and far away as they possibly can be from the doctrines of grace. And what they're doing is basing their acceptance to God upon what they do. How easily we can slip into that way of thinking, how simply we can fall into that without even realizing it. That because I do certain things that I do in the church, I'm better than you. 
because I do certain things in the life of the church, God loves me more than he loves you. That's the pharisaical thinking, you see. And that is what is represented here in the life of this older son who despised his father because of his grace, who despised his brother for coming home after being away for so long, wasting his life as he did. It is he in his mind that deserved the party. It is he in his mind that deserved the credit. It is he in his mind that deserved the accolades, not his brother. Now, we saw when I was here two weeks ago, uh, and I preached the first part of this text about the father's reception of his son, we saw what true repentance looked like. They're not celebrating just because he came home. They're not doing that at all. You know, if you have a good relationship with your children, the one's been away for a while, and they come home, you may celebrate. That's not why they're doing this. It has nothing to do with him coming home simply because he returned. But the condition which he was in when he came home is, what the, is why they're celebrating. He was a broken man. He had been touched by the grace of God, if you will, and God opened his eyes to see his true condition. It says he came to himself. He became aware of his desperate need, aware of his hopeless condition, which is where every sinner must be before he will ever come to Christ. He came, if you will, to the end of his rope. His eyes were open, and there was his daddy, a man of grace, a man of means. So he goes back with this intent. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I have disowned you. I have disregarded your affection. I have disregarded your God. I'm not worthy to be called your son at all. But I ask you, according to your kindness and mercy, let me work here. Give me a job. Let me do something here. I'll live in the bunkhouse. I'll take care of whatever you need to be taken care of. Just let me be here and take care of me. That is a picture of repentance. Lord, take care of me. Lord, help me in my sin. Lord, help me by your grace. Take me in and take care of me as you're the only one who is able to meet my need. Oh, God, be gracious to me. That's where the younger son has come. And the older brother sees this. He hears this. And he is offended by it. He does not want his father to be one who is compassionate. He wants to restrict God's kindness, if you will, his father's kindness, if you will, to himself and perhaps to a few others that he would approve of the father's grace being expressed to them. He gave all the appearance of being faithful, all the appearances of being a good son, all the appearances of being one who was, whose heart was enlarged to his father. It was not. Everybody with me? It was not. And the only way that finally brought this out, the only thing that finally brought this out, was the father's expression of mercy to one who the brother despised. 
And so we see the true condition of his heart when this happens. Well, finally, the dutiful, the dutiful individual must come face to face with his own sin, where his true needs are in his life. Again, the older son represents the best of the religious of humanity, the best of the religious of the days of Jesus, the Pharisees. I don't know who to compare him to in our own day and age. Um, just can't, can't think of any way to properly compare them. They were the religious leaders. They were the theologians. Perhaps compare them to liberal theologians today, maybe. I don't know. But their hearts were far away from God. But the things they did indicated that they were sincerely committed to God. But Christ comes, you see, and begins to examine their hearts, why it is they do the things that they do. And it was not out of conviction of commitment to God, not out of a sense of their need for God, because, you see, God needed them. He needed them to do his work. He needed them to carry out his responsibilities. And how fortunate the Lord was that these Pharisees were there to help him. And do the work that God needed to be done. That was their mindset. There's nothing of humility there. There's nothing of kindness there. There's nothing of grace there in the mindset of these men. And so the elder son wants an exclusive relationship with the father. He does not want his father to be one who expresses compassion and forgiveness. But all that the older brother did, all that he did from beginning to end, was done because he was one driven by duty. I'll read a verse to you. I don't know how many of you saw much of the assembly. I watched a great deal of the assembly. It's fascinating that you can go up there in those mountains and just watch the general assembly that's happening at the same time. It's kind of amazing. But the minister that preached the nights, the overtures came to the floor, which was Thursday. He preached this, 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, 14 through 16. I'm not commenting on him, but I want you to hear this. Uh, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one of fragrance of death. uh, Let's see. uh, To the other fragrance of life from life, who is sufficient for these things. We are, for we are not... uh, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, by, but as men sincerely, uh, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in truth. And that is the word sincerely. Because I can hear that. My, my hearing is going, but I can hear that annoying noise. Whatever it is. Uh, sincerely uh, is the key word there. Uh, you may not remember this, uh, you may have never heard this, but Einstein said this, nothing truly valuable arises from ambition or from a sense of duty. It starts rather from love and devotion towards men and towards objective things. I'll say he left that God out. He should have put that in there. But it's a good quote. You get the meaning of it. Nothing truly valuable arises from ambition or from a sense of duty. 
And again, uh, the quote from James Russell Lovell, his um, poem, uh, the um, uh, he says this. He gives only worthless gold who gives from a sense of duty. He gives only worthless gold who gives from a sense of duty. And so I ask us these questions as we come together this morning uh, to consider our work and labors in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, What motivates you? What moves you to do the things that you do? What moves you to come to worship this morning? To the officers, to the pastor, what moves you to do the things that you do? What moves me to do the things that I do? Is it because it's my job? That's a poor reason. That's a very, very poor reason to do the things that I do. Is it I have a love for the gospel of Christ? Well, it should be. It must be. If I'm going to please God. Uh, Is it out of a commitment of the truthfulness of his word and the grace of God expressed to us in Christ? And that drives me to bring the word forward, expecting God to bless that word in the hearts and minds of his people. Is it a love for the congregation of Christ? It should be. It must be. And the elders, as you do the things that you do, is it out of a commitment to Christ? Out of a commitment to Jesus? Out of a commitment to his service as his servant to the people of God? It must be. It has to be. Otherwise, it's not pleasing to him. First question to the catechism. What is the chief end of man? Anybody know that one? I know you don't. I'm sure you do. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. First Corinthians 10 31. Therefore, you eat or drink. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, he doesn't say there whether you eat or drink, do it out of a sense of duty. Whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Being an officer, to the glory of God. Member of the church. Church members. Why do you do the things that you do? It's my job. I signed up for it. That's a great one, isn't it? I signed up for it. Well, it's good to be dutiful when you sign up for stuff. That's good. But what should motivate you to do the best you possibly can do and to do so gladly is First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is a good thing to have commitment. It's a good thing to do things out of a sense of duty. But if duty is what drives you, your heart's not going to be right. Period. If duty is what drives you, and duty alone drives you, your heart is not going to be right. Well, how do we then get our minds right uh, when we just recognize we are doing things and we're grumbling and complaining while we do them? Uh, and we're going to complain against God's providence, really. If we complain about our labors in the church, how do we get our mind right? Well, we do this. We remember all that God has done for us and all that we owe him. We're struggling with something in your life. You've got a problem. And you complain about it to the Lord. You deserve much worse. We all do. We deserve much worse than what we deal with. I'm not saying that callously, and I'm not saying it lightly at all. It's, we have struggles, and they're hard. But God doesn't owe us an easy life. He doesn't. We owe Him commitment and obedience. So how do we change these things of 
thinking that and doing the drudgery of being a Christian and being drudgery of service and so forth, well, in the first place we come to repentance and we, we, we uh, confess to God our own sin. And then remembering what great things God has done for us. And remembering this, if there are any folk we don't want in the church, if God wants them here, we should welcome them. No matter what their income, no matter what their color, no matter what clothes they wear. As James talks about that in his epistle. Uh, and I think most of us would recognize that. How far are we going to get them in here? What are we doing to encourage them here? We had a time at a crossroads in the life of the church. We went through a lot in the past year because of God's providence placed upon the church throughout. Now it's time to rebuild. Rebuild with God's help. What are you willing to do? See that that happens here at this place. This is where your membership is. This is where you worship. What are you willing to do? We are to be like the Father. And it's not either one of the sons like the Father. There's the picture of grace and kindness. That's what we are to be like. And we're to strive to be like Jesus. Let's pray.